Hey guys, welcome to The Real Shit with Brit and Wit. This is Whitney. And this is Brittany. And this is the pod that... God. <laughs> and this is the podcast that's here to make you feel normal in your everyday life. You guys, we've had a lot of listeners write in and want us to do an episode uh, on the LGBTQ plus community, and we've got it for you today. So Wit's going to tell you who we have on our show. We're super excited to have our guest on. Um, really amazing person. And who do we have, Wit? All right, you guys, we have my neighbor, Justin, on the podcast today. Justin, say hi. Hey, everybody. Justin is awesome. He's like my favorite neighbor, one of my favorite neighbors I've ever had. Um, Him and his husband live across the street. They have three kids, and they're just a delight. So we are so excited to ask Justin about his life, his experience, everything. You guys, we're we're getting into the nitty gritty here. So let's just jump into this. Yeah. Justin, we want to start off way back yonder when (laughs) way back yonder when i was a little tyke okay let's talk about when did you first know how old were you let's talk about your childhood do you did you know when you were young or how old were you about that's a really good question and and we get asked that a lot and personally i i so growing up i grew up in a typical lds family i grew up on a ranch in idaho um and I feel like I had a pretty normal childhood. Like, you know, we just did normal things. We played with our friends. We played out in the pasture. In fact, if anything, it was, you know, I went out with my friends and stabbed fish with pitchforks. And I mean, I oh was <laughs> legit like a little farm boy. So, um, but growing up, I, I always felt different, I would say. I would say I wouldn't necessarily have known like or labeled it. Um, I just knew that I didn't quite feel like my friends felt like um, when they would get a girlfriend or something like that. Like I didn't necessarily feel that same way, even though I would maybe try to, because I thought, oh, that's what I needed to feel like. Um, It probably wasn't until I always say around puberty, like 11, 12 years old. And that's probably when I could label it or could associate it with like, hey, I have these feelings and and I, I would say I was gay. Um and and I don't know like what I I think it was when a bunch of me and my friends were like watching porn on the typical <laughs> the thing to do typical thing. at twelve typical years day old. On the farm. <laughs> And I just was not into what they were into. I'm like, wait, pause, go back. I want to see that. Like, and they, <laughs> they were definitely what not was interested. Doing there? In that. I'm rewind that part. I need to see that. Um, but no. So I would say at that point, that's probably when I started to become a little more curious of what my feelings were and being aware of what those feelings were. Okay. So you mentioned that you grew up in a religious household. Yes. So what was that like when you started realizing that, okay, I'm, I'm having these feelings towards men? Was that something that you felt like you had to hide? Did you tell anyone? Yeah, for sure. So I think um, a lot of it was my own self-discovery and I think my own kind of uh, uh, where I tried to teach my, like learn and, and I would open the dictionary and I would like look at the word gay. I'm like, am I gay? Like we're homosexual or, and, and back then, like, and especially in a small town, I don't think I heard the word gay a whole lot. And my parents were pretty old school. And so I would say the word homosexual probably came across more than gay and especially at church. And so I was trying to figure out like what that meant. Um, and so 
every time I would look into it, whether it was through church materials or dictionaries, like, oh, like that's what that means. And yes, I have those feelings, but also with the church teachings, it's like you choose to be that way. And so the battle that I felt like I was dealing with is like, well, I never ever chose to feel this way. So I might have these feelings right now. I, I, I don't know if that's normal. I don't know if everybody is having these feelings at, at this age. I definitely didn't want to talk about it because I knew at that point that it was wrong and that it wasn't okay. Um, and so I just kind of kept it buried because I thought that it would go away. I thought that, hey, if I just ignore this, if I date girls or start flirting with girls or whatever, maybe this would go away. And that's essentially probably um, kind of my uh, understanding of what it was going to be like is I always thought that it would go away because it was a choice and I definitely did not choose to have those feelings. So I thought it would just disappear. Okay. So that's really interesting to me. Uh, isn't that the big debate, whether you're born that way or if it's a choice? I feel like that's the big debate in the world, right? That so many people, whether you're religious or whatever, think, um, right. You have some people that go, no, this is just who I am. And a lot of people, is it more of a religious thing where people say, no, you choose to be that way? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I actually think that it probably is more religious at this point. Okay. Um, back then, I think that it was kind of a general understanding is that you weren't necessarily born that way. Um, and it was probably just when it started to change of like, you know, new studies had come out um, where there was more information and things like that that were given. But for the most part, I think it was a pretty... Um, mainstream understanding that it was a choice and that you that it, you were not born that way. Okay, so you talked about dating girls. So you hit that magical age of dating and did you did you try to put off dating or was it like I need to hide this part of me so I'm going to date a lot so no one even suspects anything or Yeah, so I became and if you ask any of my friends from high school I was the biggest flirt. Like I grabbed, I mean, I was super inappropriate. I would grab <laughs> girls' butts. I would make jokes about their boobs. And like, it's not like at this point in my life, I realize how inappropriate that was, but it honestly was a coping mechanism and I was hiding. And I thought that if I uh, tried really, really hard to come across that way, that nobody would ever figure me out or find me out. And quite honestly, it worked. <laughs> I feel like I need to ask this too. So, um, because I didn't really grow up in a religious household. So it's always interesting, like Wit grew up, you know, in a very LDS household here in Utah and I didn't. So the dynamic is really different for me. Um, do you feel like, is it more because of religion that you, that it's a scary thing to come out? Or do you feel like that's just how people that know that they're different and realize, okay, I think I'm gay, homosexual, whatever. Do, is it scary in general, just to come out because you're afraid to not be accepted. Does that make sense what I'm yeah, saying? Like yeah. it's Yeah. So I would have to say for me, I mean, it was in the nineties when all of these feelings were happening, you know? And so I don't think, I mean, I, I think growing up in a religious family was a big part of that, but that's all I knew. Like, I, I don't, I can't necessarily answer that for someone who maybe didn't grow up in a religious setting, but where I grew up, it was a very small town where 90%, you know, 80% of the people were religious and it was a small town. So 
you didn't really uh, hear about other gay people or other stories. You were never exposed to it. The only thing that you could really go off of is what you were told. And so, you know, uh, going to church, you were told that it was bad and that it was the next greatest thing to murder. And I honestly, I would say that was pretty hard for me to hear that all the time of like what I'm feeling inside. I didn't choose it. I don't want it. I don't want my family to hate me. I don't want my friends to hate me, but yet that's what I feel. And God looks at that from what I'm told as the like second to murder of, of all sins. And so I'd say that's probably where I started to feel the the pain and the hurt inside. Wow. See, I think that is just, it's so intriguing to me being a mother of five, you know, and, and hearing you talk, it almost makes me think, man, like what if one of my kids were feeling these ways, right? Even though we don't have a super religious household like that, right? Very yeah. strict, right? Um, I do believe in God. I do, you know, believe in a higher power, but we don't run a very strict household when it comes to religion. But I keep thinking, when you're talking like what if you know my daughter what if one of my kids felt those feelings that like it, it right as a mom went like how do you feel yeah i it is it is like that hits home for me too to think like oh my gosh one of my girls could have these feelings especially in the next few years and i would hope that in this day and age and who i am now that they could come to me maybe a few years ago I, I can tell you a few years ago, I, I definitely thought differently about all of this because of the way I was raised and because of who I was back then and going, you know, to church and just the different things I had been taught. But I would hope now that my kids would would be able to be open and feel like they didn't have to hide that part of them. Yeah, like I think just listening to you talk, I, I like want to go back and like, you know, just wrap my arms around you and be your mama and say, it's okay, come out. <laughs> Honestly, though, I mean, no, and I agree. And, and there's, I, I feel the same way. And that's why, you know, you hear stories all the time of these kids that are committing suicide at a very young age. And, you know, you get, you find out that they have been struggling with, with being gay. And it's just, it's terrible because like, I know what they felt like. And if there was something that I could have done to at least help them know that it, it does get better or there are, there is hope and there is a better life, a happier life. And anyway, yeah. Okay. Well, jumping back into dating. So you said that you were super inappropriate with the girls to try to hide who you were. Yes. But did you date girls steadily in high school? Did you, I mean, I did. Honestly, I think I started dating in the like seventh grade is probably when I had my first, like, well, I mean, I had little girlfriends in like grade school and stuff, you know, but like probably in the seventh, sixth, seventh grade, I had like a girlfriend where I was excited to give her a Christmas present, you know, and got her perfume and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, so, and I, and I don't know, it's, it's hard to think back to then, but I think that at that point I had no idea what like feelings and you know it's just that's what all your friends are doing so you kind of do it at that point but okay wait Justin I gotta know this like okay so you're doing you're you're doing the whole seventh grade cute girl friend type of thing right because all the friends are doing that yeah but come on did like what were what was really going on inside did you think the boys <laughs> were cute like were you like okay I'm gonna do this over here and buy her perfume but I really like this dude over here I mean how was that okay so this is gonna be kind of a little awkward um, but I'm just going to say it. So growing up in a Mormon family, 
who I don't even think my parents said the word sex ever. Like, we never had a discussion about sex. Do not talk about it. They yeah. just assumed that, like, you know, we saw the cows doing it, that we knew <laughs> we knew what it was. So we You're honestly, we never had that conversation. So this is really, it's probably a little embarrassing. I mean, but I, but the fact that I honestly didn't know what masturbation was until I was in the eighth grade. And I heard about it at church all the time of you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. But I honestly had no idea what it was. And there was one night where I was with a lot of my friends and I, I probably four or five and we were at one of my friend's house. We were all sleeping in the same room and we were all joking or playing with ourselves. I don't really remember <laughs> a whole lot. These sleepovers and are wild. all I remember, like, and you can totally edit this out if you <laughs> do. <laughs> All I remember is like, for the first time, I had an orgasm and I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, seriously, I was like, what is on my hands? Like, what? (laughs) What is happening to me? Wait, at the sleepover? Yes. Wait, are you all in the same room? Yeah. And and it was fine. Like, it didn't seem awkward. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, hands to ourselves. Like, it was just, I would say, boys being boys and just exploring. And at that point, there was no exchange of anything. Um, But I say that because at the same friend's house, there was another night where we had a sleepover and I was sleeping in a bed with one of my other friends and he was also gay and we had a conversation about it and it was the first person that I've ever told, um, which led to us experimenting with each other, which then, and this was like it two in the morning, probably like, honestly, it was like really late at night. And then all of a sudden, my friend's brother opened the door and turned the light on. And my soul sank. Like, Holy shit. I was in the eighth grade, probably the end of the year, and my soul sank because I thought, there's no hiding this. Like, there is no way to ever. So the older brother stop caught that. you guys experimenting with each other. Yes. And it was not the older brother of my friend or the the friend that I was doing this with. It was the older brother of the friend's house that I was sleeping at. Oh, no. And so I didn't know what he saw, but he turned the light off and shut the door. And I just assumed that nothing was seen. And I think at that point is when my life changed. Like, that's when I, I mean, I thought I was a flirt before. I totally counteracted that experience with being extra flirtatious, like being completely inappropriate. Like with the girls. With, with the, the girls, girl. yeah, because I did not want anybody. And and honestly, it worked. Like I like I talk to a lot of people now where they say, yeah, we heard that. You know, we heard the rumor. We heard that. But we were like, yeah, there's no way. Like, there's no way. It's Justin. Like, he plays basketball. He's athletic. Wait, he, so what about the friend that you were experimenting with? Never like, talked to him again. Okay. Oh, no. I never talked to him again because I needed to protect myself. Like I needed to, like if if we were seen talking together or whatever, people were gonna assume the rumors were, rumors were true. So honestly, wow. we never talked. I don't even think we ever talked until maybe our senior year, even after we graduated. Wow. Okay, but I do love your honesty there because that's the other thing too. I think like 
we were all in eighth grade just doing dumb shit. I don't care if you grew up religious or not and you weren't, quote, supposed to do anything. Like, we were all kind of, you know, having those feels and yeah. doing those things. I Like, I appreciate your honesty because I think so many people act kind of like, oh, I never did anything until, you know, a certain age. And we were all screwing around behind <laughs> our parents' backs. Let's just be honest. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, <laughs> Mom. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so after that experience, experience, <clears throat> edit that. Okay, so after that experience, uh, so you went full throttle into flirting, girls, all of it. Yeah, and I would say Kate. so. Now, now we're looking at like into high school. Um, and so when I was in high school, I would say I kind of gravitated to be being better friends with the girls than I was with my guy friends, and I think that some of that was probably some of their their fault for kind of pulling away because they probably had suspected or that they thought maybe some of that was true. But I think that some of it was my own fault, assuming that they knew about it and, and you know, didn't want to be around me or whatnot. So I gravitated to where I was really good friends with most of the girls in my grade. And it was like I was dating one every other month. Like I would rotate and like I had a different girlfriend all the time. Um so, so nothing yeah. serious with any of these girls? I mean, nothing super serious. Not like, I, you know, I would say in the ninth grade, 10th grade, a lot of my friends were getting serious. They had serious girlfriends. That's when they started having sex and things like that. For me, it was never to that point. Um, I, 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 was, I was definitely like, I had girlfriends, but we never, I mean, holding hands and kissing and just the appearance in public was probably the majority of what that was. Um and it's also when I started kind of uh, gravitating to alcohol and marijuana. Um, I loved my pot in high school. And most people will tell you the, the same thing. Um, <laughs> so and, it was a known fact. And it was a known fact. And I, and for me, it was completely self-medication. Um, I, when I got high, I, I was happy. I could laugh. I could let loose. And we, I just had a really good time. And so I would say that for the majority of high school, now I couldn't smoke when I was playing basketball. Um, but I used pot to self-medicate to help get me through. So I hear sometimes where people have kind of lived a double life, like, oh, I'm dating this girl here. But then in another city or whatever, sometimes I'm traveling to see this guy. Did you ever live a double life or was that? No, and no. And I, I probably would have had I known how. <laughs> had there been the internet? <laughs> yeah, had there been the internet? I do remember like getting on and getting on like a gay chat room once mm -hmm. and actually calling and me and this other teenage kid from like back east were talking but it never went anywhere but honestly i would say i mean that never happened with me just because i i never i never knew how or or knew like how to access tips. that yeah, yeah yeah okay i have to i have to ask this did your parents like ever have any suspicion whatsoever cuz you know a lot of people too you know, somebody comes out and they're like, oh, we knew that dude for a long time, right? Or or it can go the opposite way where it really surprises people when someone comes out and they're like, what? So did anybody know? Did anybody have suspicions? Did your family, parents? 
So uh, aside from just those that had maybe heard of the rumor, I would say no. Um, And especially my family. My family was not aware. Like my family was pretty disconnected from the rest of the community. We lived out in the country. We lived on a ranch. Um, Quite honestly, my, my parents' perception of being gay was not me. They they probably wouldn't know what being gay is, but for them, it's like what you see on TV and like at the gay pride where people are, you know, waving the rainbow flag in their underwear. Like you were wearing a purple boa around the house. Correct. So like your mom did. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, I mean, I did love to play Barbies with my sister, but that's about as far as, you know, my feminine side came out. But I would say, yeah. So for my parents, it was more of, they just didn't know what that, looked like so they would never assume and again their understanding was that it was a choice too and so they would automatically just assume their own child would not choose that you know they they of course raised them better than that um and so it probably would have never even crossed their mind um okay so at this point uh you had your experience right never talked to him again went crazy with the girls um but no serious actual girlfriend where where are we at now maybe about 18 or so yeah so um i would say up until like my senior year is probably when i was the most depressed um i did have a really good friend in high school who i now looking back at the time, I would have not realized this, but I was super jealous of him and his girlfriend. Um, and now looking back, I realized that it's probably because he was the first person who actually like cared about me and, you know, showed interest in my life. And he was, he was a good friend. And so I, looking back, I probably had a crush on him. I probably had feelings for him, but at the time I, I obviously that wasn't reciprocated in that way. So I never thought of it that way. Um, but my senior year was rough. I, I, uh, I was actually going through my journal the other day cause I did keep a, a semi journal, a, a semi journal <laughs> where, you know, I, I would write in there and stuff And my senior year. If it wasn't, I had a friend who was a girl, um, and she was like my best friend through all of high school. And I remember writing in there that literally she saved my life, like that we hung out all the time. And I don't know, I just, and, and, and it was the first time that, you know, I felt depressed over everything. Um, there was a lot of nights where I just couldn't sleep. Um, it was my senior year. I was supposed to be really good at basketball, but I was so worried about all this that I lost a lot of sleep. I smoked a lot of pot um, and it just did not turn out how I had imagined. Um, and so it was really just all I could do to get graduated. And I had this idea that I was going to just leave and go to Oklahoma and be a pilot. And so I had gotten into the, the flight school out there and everything. And, and that gave me a little bit of hope of just getting out. Um, and at that point is kind of once I got to Oklahoma is when I realized, holy shit, these feelings are not going away. And I am now away from my family, my friends, and I could truly be who I wanted inside to be. Now, how old were you? When you so got? I was 18. Okay, so 18. Um, and I know you and Wit talked about that you served an LDS mission. So was this after? This is before. This is before. Yeah, so so given that like in high school, I was not, I did not go to church. I had a pierced tongue when I was 16. 
I had a tattoo. We need to see these pictures. <laughs> you have to find some pictures. I had a tattoo. Um and I smoked a lot of pot. So so the mission, <laughs> mission was, was definitely the <laughs> not quite on the radar for me at this point. Well, I think we have to point out for people that don't know this, right? Because we forget, like, I mean, I've lived in Utah for so long now, but I didn't grow up Mormon uh in my life. And so you, you almost forget that some people don't know what we're talking about. So for those of you who have no idea, because I didn't, I had no idea what the Mormon culture was or what a Mormon even was. So that's what, that's a lot of the, you know, no tattoos, no smoking, no drinking, no sex before marriage. Like, so when we talk about this, he's, you know, Justin's kind of saying how he really was doing all the opposite things that, right. Yeah, he was going <laughs> against religion for sure. But yet I still had not had sex like 90% of my friends. Yeah that did and also went on a mission. <laughs> so. I was actually going to ask that. I was actually going to ask if you if you slept with anyone in no, high school. No, at okay. that point, no, I, I didn't. Um, okay, so you went to the, you know, flight school, did the thing in Oklahoma, yeah. and then you realized... I panicked. I realized I could literally live my true life or what I felt like was my true life out here. And I was introduced to people who were gay and it was kind of normal out there. Like it wasn't this... You know, I, I wouldn't say it's like what it is today, but it was a, it was definitely more normal than in a small town in Blackfoot, Idaho, you know. And so for me, I got scared because I was like, if I do this, there's not really a going back. Like, you know, and, and I still I think in the back of my head had this this idea of like, I can change. Like, I'm not giving into this because this if I fight this, I can change, you know, and. I, you know, if maybe if I pray harder, maybe if I, you know, beg to God that if I do the right things that I can change. And so for me, it was, I, it was the first time I was away from home. I experienced the homesickness and I was truly scared of living the life that I ultimately was kind of wanting to live, but I was too scared. So I went back to Blackfoot uh, or back home about, I think I was out there for about four months. So back home it was. So back home it was. And and what did you do from there? Did you kind of shape up a little bit and get like, okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to pray and say the right thing, so God will take my gay away. <laughs> <laughs> was it like, okay, I'm going to go back to church and I'm going to double down or was it like, I'm just going home and I'll, I'll figure it yeah, out. Yeah. So it was just, I was just going to go back home and figure it out. And um, I ended up coaching um, the JV basketball team for our high school. And while doing so, uh, <laughs> well, back up. So I went back home and one of my old friends from high school, a girl was there and I would, and so I, I had considered a mission at this point. I was like, okay, maybe, you know, whatever. So anyways, we started hanging out well, that was my first sexual experience for a girl. And Oh, yes, here we go. <laughs> I'm so excited. L let me just say, yes, I did get it up. <laughs> you know, that was my first question coming. And I can't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a woman, but I, I mean, I wore her out because <laughs> it, it was not working for me. Like... <laughs> I just kept going and I'm like, is this ever going to, we had to stop and have a water break, like legit, <laughs> like 
had to get a drink of water because I'm like, is this normal? Like, she must think I'm freaking amazing. Yeah, most because girls would like, be like, <laughs> yes, okay, now we're talking. It's more than like 45 seconds. <laughs> I just want you to say, I just want to say on record, two hours is too long, okay? I, like, yeah. There's a happy medium there, but <laughs> two hours? Oh my God. Most of us will take um, 10 minutes, five minutes even. <laughs> If you have kids too, it's good. No, just kidding. So now when okay. women say, hey, like I could totally change you or make you straight, my like, oh honey, no, trust me, I might wait, wait, make wait, wait, it wait. the other way around. Okay, wait. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. So wait, oh wait, hold on. Did I miss this part? Did she know you were gay? So, okay. I don't know. Yes. She's now, now she says yes, that she did. And that like, we were good friends all through high school. Like I wouldn't say like best friends, but we were good friends. And, and, uh, um, she actually dated most of her high school life. Um, the brother of the boy that I hooked up with in the eighth grade. Okay. And so I'm sure that she was aware of the rumors and I'm sure that, and she was pretty progressive, I would say. I mean, she was pretty, you know, intuitive. And so I do think that she did know. And I think that bless her heart, she did it for me to help (laughs) me realize that two hours is probably a sign. (laughs) This isn't normal. And I hope she enjoyed it. Did we ever finish? Whatever um, happening. I yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Actually, it all came to a head. It yes. was fine. <laughs> yep. Oh, yes. Man. So okay. So shortly after that, all of a sudden, hey, maybe this mission idea. Maybe I'll think about it. So went and talked to my bishop, and oh, I had to wait a year because I just slept with a girl, had sex with a girl. So he made me wait a year, and I was like, okay, yeah, whatever, that's fine. So I started coaching JV basketball, and um, while doing that, I remember sitting by my friend's, my best friend in high school, I was sitting by his mom, and she was telling me, we really need to find you a girlfriend. And I was like, yeah, we probably do, like, sure. And then all of a sudden, I look across the gym, and there was this really pretty girl with brown hair and it happened to be the sister of uh, one of the basketball players on my team. And I said to my friend's mom, I said, her. And she literally walked over and said, Justin Hamilton wants a date with you. (laughs) And that's where that started. Okay. I have to ask this. I'm so curious. Did were you still able to think women were attractive? Like, how does that work? Yeah, like I, I can look at a woman and say, "Oh, she's yeah, she's pretty. cute. She's pretty." Okay. And 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 I, I did know the family of this girl, and I knew that they were great people, and that was probably somewhat some of the attraction there, um, of just knowing a little bit about the family that way. Um, but that's kind of where. The mission, the reason why I bring her into this is because this is where the mission comes into play. And, um, you know, you, you think about in life, and I think this is very important to talk about here, especially with of what we're trying to talk about, but, um, gosh, I didn't know I would get choked up about this, but, uh, you think about in life and, and you think about the people that really changed your life. And 
it's this particular family that that changed my life. Um, and not because they were super religious or because they helped me go on a mission, but because ultimately they understood what unconditional love means. Um, so we started dating and uh, honestly, this family was amazing. So I probably spent the majority of my life out at their house for dinners, for Sunday games, all of that stuff. It was just fantastic. And and for me, it's like, wow, like this is what I would love my life to be like is to have a family like this and to have kids and to have them over, you know, with their friends and to play games and to do all these things. And so, um, and so ultimately by meeting them, it made me want like kind of be attracted to that life. And I thought I need to go on a mission. Like I need to go back to church and, um, and that's kind of where that transition to, um, is, is I just wanted to, to be better. I wanted to do what was at the time, what I felt like was, was right. Um, and while doing so, I also become very, very close with her little brother. And he was three years younger than me, two, three years younger than me, two or three years. I don't remember. Um, and so, I remember as I was preparing to go on a mission, I remember this very clearly that we were actually staying down at his sister's house down at um, BYU. And well, not at her house. It was actually we were staying because you can't stay in the girls' dorm rooms. So we stayed in an empty dorm room where her boyfriend lived. And we were sleeping in the same room. And the subject of a secret came up. And I don't even remember how, but I just had asked something about how do you have a, like, I have a secret and it's just one of those things that you just would never tell anybody. And at that point is when I realized, like, I, I am in, I, I love this woman, but I am in not, I am not in love with her. And at that same time, um, after I woke up the next morning thinking, oh my God, he probably knows because of what I just told him about the secret thing. And he's going to think of me differently. And I honestly just shut down. Like I collapsed in my soul. I felt like, like it was just, I, I hit my point where I really, there was no way out. Like I, I was so low. Um, and I was living with my sister in Bountiful at this time. Um, going to school at the Salt Lake Community College. And I, she came home and she had just gotten done w- w- uh, attending one of the Sunstone um, symposiums. And, and Sunstone is, is a group that gets together and some are Mormon, some are, um, are people who have left the church. But overall, it's a group of people who think very openly and they bring in people of different experiences, whether polygamy or um, experiences from gay and lesbian people. And it's just super open-minded. And, and it was, it's interesting how it happened because she had just come home from listening to some lesbians talk about essentially what I'm doing here. And, um, and she started talking to me about it and just started talking to me about how horrible it was of what they had to feel. And I just started crying and I just, it was the first time that I, I could not hold it in anymore. And I told her 
and she just felt horrible that I had kept it in for so long. But for me, it was so amazing that I finally told somebody and could just own it that this is what I'm feeling. And I had somebody to talk to about it. And um, I didn't know if it would go anywhere. As far as telling the rest of my family, I told her I wasn't ready to tell um, anyone else. But she did suggest that I would tell my dad. And my dad had been going to these Sunstone symposiums for probably 10 years. Um, He was always a very open-minded person. I never thought my dad would ever reject me or, um, you know, shun me for being gay. I just never wanted to vocalize those feelings. Are we good still? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I know. I'm I'm totally lost. I am like... Okay, so so my dad, so my sister had suggested talking to him, and I said, you know, I don't think I'm able to, but would you tell him for me? And she said yes. So she ended up going to Idaho, and she told him, and his, just your dad, just my dad, okay, just and my wait, dad. Okay, and so all of this is still before mission. Yes, and and okay. honestly, even. Even though I had met this wonderful family, I still hadn't even considered a mission. Like it seriously, like wasn't really even on my mind. I mean, I mean, I had talked to the bishop a year ago, but after that, I hadn't really like pushed that very much. So, um, so yeah, so I went and I told my sister, and then she told my dad, and his response was, "Well, that's okay." Oh wow, that's incredible. And that's he's his. Yeah, I, I to me like that's exactly what I had assumed would probably come from my dad. Um, but what it, what he did is because of all of his connections and what he had studied and what he had read about, he actually sent me to a therapist in Salt Lake who specialized. She was she was LDS herself, but she had written a lot of books about um, being gay and coming out and experiences and whatnot. Um, and that was probably the very best thing I could have had at that point in my life. And she walked me through, you know, he offered to pay for the sessions. Obviously, I was this poor little college oh gosh, student working at Sizzler. Um, he really is incredible. He really is incredible. And so um, I met with her for probably a month or two and um, worked through some things and you know, in the back of my head, I still, you know, and, and she didn't, what I loved about her is she didn't tell me to feel one way or the other. And she didn't say, you know, you can't get married to a woman. She definitely didn't suggest doing that, but she let me kind of work through a lot of the the feelings and a lot of the decisions myself while guiding me and helping me understand what some of that meant. Um, and I think that the very best thing she did was helping me understand how difficult it was if I chose to get married to a woman. Um, and, she, you know, she helped. I, again, I at, even at this point, I still was not exposed to anyone else who was gay. I don't, I didn't know anybody else who was gay. I didn't know anybody who maybe had married a woman. It wasn't talked about. It was still really quiet. And so, um, I felt very alone in that sense of just not knowing what that meant in my mind, I thought it meant a very promiscuous life. If I, you know, became, if I became gay and started living that life, I thought that I would have to kind of 
become a promiscuous a gay man who never really had a stable partner. Yeah. So was this a thought in your head? Was, uh, did you ever have those thoughts? I need to, do I need to marry a woman? What do I do? I mean, were you even on that road of thinking, I have to get married to a woman, even though I know I'm gay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I was, um, I actually, a big part of my life is I love kids. I love, I love, I love the idea of being a father. I I loved, again, going back to my friend's house, you know, where they were all getting together on Sundays and playing games. Like, I loved that thought. And in my mind, if I was gay, I couldn't have that. And so, I felt like I may have to sacrifice my feelings or my attraction to be able to enjoy that life. And so... um I think that's what kept drawing me to the religion side of things, the, you know, of, of of staying, you know, close to God, if you will, um, is to be able to live that life. And so ultimately, I told my sister and my dad that I was going to go on a mission. And they were both like, what the hell? <laughs> like, are and you... So for those of you who don't know, explain. I mean, what an LDS mission is. It's two years. Yeah, so it's two years. You leave everything behind, your cell phone, your everything, like your family. You get to talk, you get to write home to them once a week. Letters, not emails, letters. Now it's different, but yeah, it's changed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's changed a little bit. But back then years. it was literally, um, yeah, letters and you couldn't call them. You called them twice a year, once on Mother's Day and once on Christmas. And you taught the Book of Mormon to people and tried to convert people to the the LDS church. Um, and so... And so when his dad and sister <laughs> say, what the hell, this is why. <laughs> That's exactly why. And honestly, I... And, you know, and people ask me all the time, did you feel pressure? I mean, is, did you feel like it was uh, expected that you did that? And quite honestly, I can say no. Like, this was a decision that I made. I never felt like... I had to, I never felt pressure to. I honestly felt like if I could go out and serve a mission for two years and do it successfully, that maybe I could get married to a woman. If I could live that life for two years, why couldn't I live that life for 40 or 50? Now, did you, I have to ask this, did you ever think, okay, if I marry a woman, were the thoughts going through your head? Like, how do I want to pose this? did you almost have thoughts of like, oh, I feel bad. I would feel bad for her because I am not really being fully committed or sexually attracted to her, you know, things like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I would say that's, a, again, where the therapist came into uh, to play and was very helpful of, of helping me understand that the only way to do it successfully is to tell the woman to tell your girlfriend and let her know your feelings so that she is fully aware because she's on it, board from the beginning yeah, and not blind because if it's a secret from the beginning it'll never work so i mean i know i've heard stories like this i don't personally know anybody but are there really women out there that know that going into it and are going okay yeah that's okay let's do this yep that's a thing mm-hmm. wow honestly that is crazy to me yeah and not I don't say that in a rude or negative way. I'm just actually saying like that is incredible. Yeah. And it's intriguing and I don't fully understand. I think like 
when you're with someone, you know, and you, you care about them, you're like, yeah, I love you. We could do this. We can make this work. We're best friends. We, you know, we care about each other. Like we can make this work. And it's not until you find someone else that you really yeah. are truly in love with that You're like, oh, that would have, that really wouldn't have worked in the long run. Or that really wouldn't have been where we were both would have been happy. Yeah, because I think being a woman, I mean, I definitely, you know, I get that side of it where in the beginning that might seem like a great idea and, oh, I love you as a person and you're my best friend and we can do this. But when you get down to the nitty gritty of like the soul and love and relationships and sexual desires and needs and all of it, right? Like you, that, I don't feel like that can be sustainable. Yeah. You know? So you decided to go on a mission. So. <laughs> and how did that go? So I decided to go on a mission and I was in the MTC for like a week and I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like literally what the <laughs> hell am I doing? So, you know, I, I look back in my life from right, like, you know, from now and I realize rules have never applied to me. And I'm going to find a way to break them. I'm going to find a, a way around stuff. Whatever it is, I'm going to do my thing. If it feels fine, I'm going to do it. So within a week, I was sneaking out of the MTC. Oh, I was. Damn. I would go down to the bottom of the basement and I would unlock the window. It Like during the day, I'd unlock the door. And then at night... Where was I, your companion? I know. And I had six of them. Or there was like six of us in one room. I don't know how this was able to happen but i would i would get up at like all the missionaries would go to bed at 10 because i was like lights out so at midnight i would wake up and i would go out and i would crawl out the window and i walked over to my girlfriend's dorms <laughs> Justin, <laughs> and i remember the first time she drove me to the gas station because i just needed a pepsi like i literally <laughs> Just needed a cold Pepsi. So I bought a 12 pack of Pepsi. Did they not give you Pepsi? In no, I don't believe there was training? any. I think it was like root beer and Sprite. Oh, time out no real caffeine. quick. For those who don't know what the MTC is, oh. it's the Mission Training Center in Provo, Utah. That That's where, not all, but that's where a lot of missionaries are sent to get the training that they need to go out and teach. Teach, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're not supposed to drink caffeine. That makes sense, right? Correct. I mean, well, that was always kind of a weird thing. But for some... Yeah, they did not have caffeine at the MTC. Like, okay. yeah. And you have a companion when you're there. So there's supposed to be someone with you 24-7. And like literally 24-7. Like you... Like your companion waited outside the bathroom for you. Like that you was the only time that you could go somewhere without your companion. But you were sneaking off to see your girlfriend. <laughs> I did. I really did. And I went and I made phone calls and I updated everyone with how shitty it was. <laughs> oh and gosh. I seriously, it was like, I remember reading in my journal, like I felt like I was in prison. Like it was like you couldn't, it just felt like prison to me. Um, and so that's that. It happened one more time. I snuck out like a week later, right before I went to Oregon. Oregon was actually my mission. That's where I got called this to the Eugene, Oregon mission. Yeah, so so missionaries can get called all over the world. Yeah. I mean, the states, out of country, all over the world. So Yeah, and I got called to Oregon, which is just one state away from where I grew up, and my brother told me I should have sent it back and requested for a new place, but quite honestly, it was probably the very best place for me, so... But yeah. you didn't abandon ship. As much as you hated it, you didn't abandon ship. No, you, went. you know what? I survived pretty well. So, 
I do remember my first companion and I remember being super depressed my first probably six weeks to three months. Um, I even plotted, I even plotted how to lock my companion up in the bathroom um, <laughs> and cut the phone cord so that he couldn't call anybody, throw all of his clothes out into the wet rain, snow, whatever it was. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and and bounce in the car like literally like take off to the bus station like i had this all planned out because i was so miserable um and i think this was after i had told my mission companion that i was gay I was or not no, sorry not my companion my mission president okay and so on your mission you have a mission president that you report to you write him a letter once a month i believe maybe yeah once a month um and then you would also meet with him every six weeks and do kind of an interview and things like that and so I just let him know that, you know, how I was feeling and, and, and stuff. And he thought that I was using that to go home. And he didn't believe me that I was actually gay. And so, um, it wasn't until about probably four or five months into my mission that he realized like, okay. And so, um, so yeah. And as far as the mission went, like it was fine. Like it, it was fine. I loved helping people. So it was, um, you made it the whole two years. Oh no, we'll get to that oh, point. Okay. <laughs> I was like, well, you're like, so the mission, it was fine. Yeah. No, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, you made so, it the whole two years. No. So, um, so it was great. I called my sister. Oh yeah. So I ended up, I called my sister, um, um, probably once a day, every other day while my companion was in the shower. <laughs> and luckily it was fine because I could vent to her and she could help me process my feelings and things like that. And I eventually just told my mission president that I was doing it and he was fine with it because it was keeping me out there. So, um, and we had told one of my sisters right before I left on my mission that I was gay and she reacted negatively to it and so me and my other sister had played it off of like oh hey just kidding like not true we just wanted yeah we just wanted to see what you were gonna say because natea just went to this um sunstone and talked about you know the the lesbians that she listened to and stuff and so i was like yeah just kidding well about a month into it she wrote me a letter and uh, said that she apologized for reacting so negatively and that asked me, are you really? And I said, yeah. And she, you know, she wrote back and said that um, she just was not educated and that her perspective on what it was was a lot different than what she felt after she could do some reading and ask some questions and things like that. And so, um, so at that point, now I have two siblings that knows and my dad. And, um, and I believe at this point, my girlfriend's little brother knew too. I don't remember when, I think it was right before I left. I had told him. Wait, but not your mom. I was just, uh, not my that. mom. My your mom. dad no. could keep that from your mom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And if you knew my mom, you'd understand why. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure he so, had his reasons, but that's yeah, a big secret. Yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I kept, you know, pushing through the mission and, um, got great, some great companions, you know, like did any, you said your mission president knew you were gay. Did any of your companions, or do you feel like you served with anyone else who was gay? Yeah. So, so, uh, he was not a companion. Okay. Uh, at this point in my first area, there was another missionary in my uh, 
they call it districts or zone actually where you know there's different zones in your mission and different missionaries and stuff and you kind of spend time with the missionaries that are in that specific zone anyway um there was one missionary who was a little flamboyant and really fun and so i kind of gravitated to that and we were just we had a good time together and honestly like i would say I assumed that he was gay, but I never like was like interested in like, you know, whatever. And so we became pretty close um, to each other. And then it wasn't until we were even in separate areas, but then like reconnected at a zone conference and we were out tracting together and tracting is when you go out and knock doors and you actually legit like try to convert people on their doorstep, which it's so freaking awkward and ridiculous. And I yeah, have imagine that works very often. Yeah, no. Um, so was it we, just you two out? So together? we ended up, yeah, we ended up, we swapped companions and I ended up telling him and he had said, he had said he has similar feelings um, and you know, he's working through it and stuff. And it was just nice to just have somebody who understood, you know, who I could talk to and who, um, and I don't, I don't remember if he actually told me, I can't remember how much information he gave me or if some of that was my own assumptions of him just telling me, you know, what he was feeling, but it just felt good. And I felt like I could trust him. And it was kind of the first person that I just could talk to out there. Um, and so, he was quite he was out there quite a bit earlier than me so he left probably a year a little bit more than a year into my mission so um anyway so yeah so I just kept trucking along and you know once you get out there for about 6 months it's pretty much just you get used to it you get, get over the routine. homesickness and I have a question really quick. So you did tell your mission president you had mentioned. So they allow you to stay out though? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think that for that, uh, it varies. It varies on mission presidents. Um, my particular mission president has a stepson who is gay. And so... He wasn't as like weirded out by the whole thing, I don't think. And so he knew that, I mean, as long as I was following the law of chastity, there was no reason to send me home. You know, if I was following the rules and being obedient, then he didn't see a reason that I couldn't be a, you know, a successful missionary. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't want to interrupt. No, I just, great. that was that's something that popped question. into my head, just not growing up. You know, yeah. I wanted to know how that worked. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are mission presidents who did send people home for just being gay or having those feelings. I'm sure that that definitely did exist or does to this day. Um, so yeah. So then I was out about, let's see, I was out there for about a year and I get this email from my sister, my one of the sisters that didn't know, and it was basically paraphrased to, I got drunk with your sister who proceeded to tell me that you're gay and then passed out after she punched me in the face because I told her that it was okay. And she was like, well, you don't understand how hard this is for him. You shouldn't just be so flippantly like oh this is fine and it's not a big deal because it's obviously a big deal so they got into a little fight and then she passed out so my sister calls my brother she calls my sister oh, no. she calls the rest of my family asking if i'm gay 
<laughs> we'll ask everybody. Um, and so I got this email that basically said that. And then she just said, I- I'm ready to buy your flight home. Like, let's get you home. You deserve to live the life of happiness and joy. And I don't care if you like spiders or birds or whatever. <laughs> like, I want you to be able to, you know, love yourself and love your life. Like, let's let's get on with this. Like, quit That's wasting your sister. time out there. Um, and so immediately, knowing my sister, I actually called her up. <laughs> Um, at this point not on my cell phone but yes I did end up buying a cell phone on my mission Uh, (laughs) what a rule breaker Um, so I called her up and I was like okay that's great and wonderful and all but do not tell mom like do not tell mom and she's like I won't I won't tell mom I won't tell mom and I call my other sister the next day just to check in on everything and my sister told my mom. Did she tell her before this? Like, had she called your mom? No, and she was called like, oh. me like after I had just told her to not call her. She no. called my mom and was like, hey, just so you know, like, you better start getting okay with gay people because no. your son's gay. <laughs> start being okay with gay people uh yeah so then you know give it three days and a letter arrives in the mail from my mom that honestly to this day i still have and because it truly shows the i love my mom to death but just how small town uneducated brainwashed all of the above that she really was and still kind of is. She won't listen to this podcast, so it's okay. <laughs> um, it has the word shit in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, basically just telling me, do not tell anybody. We don't need to advertise this. You, you're you going to, if you tell people, they're not going to love you. They're, um, you know, you're going to struggle with, you know, being, you know, a lot of people that cared about you before won't care about you anymore. And Aww. then you know, asked me if I had been molested and things like that. Cause that, from her belief, that's that what was a that was. That was, yes, that yes. was a common misconception is that you only felt this way as if something traumatizing happened to you. Um, you know, and I, I handled it quite well. I just em- or wrote her a letter back and, and let her know that none of that's true and that she can start educating herself and, and reading books and stuff like that. And so um, at this point, I'd been out about a year and then uh, I wanted, one of my sisters or my dad sent me this book and it was, uh, it was by Carolyn Pearson and it was a book, uh, it's called No More Goodbyes. And it's basically Carolyn Pearson is the um, she is the author and writer of the primary song "I Will Walk with You," mm-hmm. um, and she married a gay man and ended up, and then he died of AIDS, and she was literally like by his side as he died. Like she is just one of the most wonderful people that I've ever even you know I, I met her, and it's just amazing. Her story is amazing, and. And and honestly, for people that want to know how they can be better and how they can like educate themselves, I would number one say read her books, read all of her books. She is incredible. So, um, so I could not put that book down, um, and it was like it was amazing. It was all about love and acceptance, and um, it really brought hope into my life. 
no matter what what I chose, no matter what ended up with my life, I knew that like I'm gonna be okay, like I'm gonna be fine. Um, and during the same time, my brother, you know, uh, who is four years older than me, wrote me a letter and just was very apologetic that he didn't know about this and wished that he was there for me. Um, honestly, my whole family had a really great reaction. Um, my oldest sister struggled a little bit. She was probably, out of all of my siblings, the one that was the most involved in in the church and and really was probably a little similar to my mom as far as like just not really knowing, not being exposed to, and and so just really not knowing, you know, what being gay is, and and um, so, so yeah, so at that point, a few months later, I was like, well, this calling card is like really expensive. I keep calling home to my sister. I'm like, I'm using these minutes <laughs> daily. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it does not make sense. I need a cell phone. So on our mission, they give us like $500 a month or maybe it's $250 a month or I don't even remember how much it is, but they give us a little debit card and we can use whatever's on that card every month, you know, and to pay for our food and things like that. And most missionaries would go and they would like, we'd literally just eat like out of tuna cans or ramen and then we would save up the money that comes on that card and then we'd go buy like cameras or we would go buy like fun stuff mm-hmm. and then we'd have it when we went home. So... Anyway, I decided to go to T-Mobile <laughs> while I was supposed to be on the computer emailing. I went to T-Mobile and signed up for a cell phone and I had it shipped to my was your sister. He was just next to me on another computer, but oh you know, he emailing. was locked in the closet and all of his clothes were thrown out. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I had the the phone shipped to my sister in Utah and I told her to take it out of the box and then ship it back to me so that it was <laughs> not in the T-Mobile packaging. <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, that, yeah. So, and then let's jump ahead from there. I mean, it's pretty normal mission life, you know. Um, and so I got called to be a zone leader, and this is where you kind of oversee the the zone of the area that you're in. And because of this particular zone, I did know that uh, there was another missionary who was going to see a counselor. And under, I, I knew this because the mission president had shared with me that I should go to this area to see a counselor. And it just so happened that when you're a zone leader, you know where the missionaries are and what appointments they have to be to and things like that. And so um, we went on exchanges and exchanges are when you switch companions. And as a zone leader, you do it so that you can help educate the, you know, the newer missionaries and you can help, um, you know, advise them or make sure they're doing okay, that they're not homesick. And then you kind of report back to the mission president. Um, And so I knew I should not be on this exchange with this particular missionary. I just knew it. I knew that it just, I, I don't know. I just knew it. And so, you know, we started talking and, and um, he had opened up a little bit about his life. And, and I, and for me, it was like, you know, you're okay. Like you're, you're okay. You don't need to beat yourself up about this. You don't need to be depressed about this. Um, I really tried to build him up and to let him know that God loves him no matter what. And ultimately I would say like for my mission, that's what I benefited from my mission is knowing that God loves me unconditionally and that there's nothing that could be done 
or that I could do that would change that. Um, and so on this exchange, I ultimately wanted to, you know, help him see the same thing. And we ended up going back to his apartment to, I believe we just had dinner with some of the ward member, the church members. And we were going back to get names of people to go see. And uh, we were sitting on the bed and he reached over and kissed me. And I was like, wow, okay, this is hot. (laughs) Just kidding. Actually, no, I was like, oh shit, what did I just do? And it happened for probably maybe five to 10 seconds. And I was like, oh my God, I just totally screwed up. At this point, I'm 21 months into my mission. So I have literally three months left. Oh my gosh. And so I thought, okay, like I know this missionary who snuck out in the middle of the night and, you know, met up with this girl. And I know this missionary who had these issues. And I know this missionary who did this. And they're all still out on their mission. So I'll just call my mission president and I'll let him know. And I'll probably just get transferred to another area or, you know, yeah, away from this other missionary. And it'll just be fine. Like all he did is kiss. Like it's nothing. I didn't break the law of chastity or anything like that. It's not a big deal. And so I did, I called the mission president so that it, and I also knew like, quite honestly, if this missionary was stable, I probably would have just kept it a secret because I knew that it wasn't that big of a deal. So Mm -hmm. if I knew he could have, I probably would have too. Um, But I just knew that wasn't happening. And so I called the mission president. He didn't answer. And I left a message on his voicemail. And uh, we had our exchanges. Nothing else happened. And the next morning, we get a phone call that says, I'm being picked up and being taken to the mission headquarters. And then I was like, okay, like, like, great, you know. And I would have to say at this point in my mission, I really didn't care what happened. (laughs) I really didn't. Like, I think that I had been through enough in my mission where I knew I knew what my life was going to be like moving forward. I knew that the the I wasn't going to be able to uh, live an LDS life and that I wasn't going to have a place in the church. And so, quite honestly, I would say I was totally fine with it. I was probably more fearful of the shame of like mm-hmm. how I was going to handle it. Whereas I could have, if I would have just came home normally, I could have kept it hidden. I wouldn't have, have to had to tell anybody. Um but luckily for me, my you know my parents had a good nine months, my family to educate themselves when they first found out about me, and so it wasn't a surprise when my mission president called them and said, "Hey, kissed another missionary," you know. Whereas <laughs> oh, if my sister didn't tell my mom, she my mom would have been like, "What?" Like <laughs> that's true. That's so true. Your sister you know, maybe like, did you a little. Favor. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the whole time you're talking, I just have like a movie playing in my head. Like I'm just like. <laughs> I'm like having it all play out. Like, you know how they make like the Mormon movies or whatever? No one makes this one. You know what I mean? Yeah, make this into a movie, Justin. Yeah. And just for the record, we aren't like mocking or, you know, (laughs) we're not laughing at like the joke of doing things inappropriate or wrong on missions. It's just we're laughing because Justin's story, right? Like it's, it is comical. I don't care who you are. There's a lot of these. 
you know, it's a good one. <laughs> and it just shows that people are human. Even yes. people on missions aren't out there doing the right thing all the time, right? True. Very true. Do you guys want to know a dirty secret? Uh-oh. No one ever knows this. I, you inspire me. I had a missionary kiss me on his mission. I wasn't on a mission, but that's how I, wow. that's how I'm even in, yeah, yeah. No, really, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like, that's why I'm like, no, this shit happens. I don't yeah. care if you're straight, gay. Is this the missionary whatever. that converted you? That is, I cannot disclose that information. Yes, <laughs> yes. No, but you're saying that and it's almost like he, nobody ever knew. He never got sent home. It didn't, it didn't go farther than that. Uh, he was transferred right after. I mean, that's how I'm in Utah. My family converted. We did the Mormon thing for a while. Long story short, I didn't choose to live it anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that that stuff happens out there. Yeah. You know? Anyway. That is crazy. That's my dirty secret. I never told anyone, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Secrets are spilling out everywhere. <laughs> oh my gosh. So how was coming home? I mean, oh. because there is, there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of stuff to missionaries coming home, even if it's, yeah, yeah, even if it's just a few months early, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of, you know, I, uh, I think I was so worried about the gay thing, and also at this point, my girl, my girlfriend did know shit. She, she, I had ended up telling her. Um, at some point while I was on my mission, I ended up telling her as well and her family. And they were all honestly like super supportive. Like, and, and, and by supportive, I would say just understanding of like how hard that it is to have those feelings and to not know whether it's a choice or whether it's going to go away or all these things. Like not once did I ever feel judged from them. Um, I felt like they were again going back to, this family truly knew unconditional love. And I never had to question or feel um, shame from them. And I never had to feel that from my family. And I would say that probably made it the easiest for me is knowing that I had the people that I love the most who supported me and were there for me. Um, I remember going home and obviously I, you know, uh, it's it's a little awkward and especially with my mom like not knowing you know she, I I just can't even I I'm trying to like give you a perspective of my mom but my mom grew up in a town like population of like 100 or 200 people like oh tiny 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 town and and to this day is an avid Glenn Beck Rush Limbaugh listener that's like the source of her education so. Okay. Um, very conservative and, and legit reads the book of Mormon, you know, a couple times a year and yeah, very, very conservative. So, so I, I didn't want to be alone with her in the sense of, I just didn't want to deal with like the guilt trip and like the misunderstanding of what being gay is. So, um, luckily I, I never really had to, but I do remember going to my stake presidents to be released from my mission. You have to go and the stake presidents back home in Idaho and they release you from your, your callings of being a missionary and things like that. And, um, I remember him telling me and it, and, and it actually kind of inspired me to prove him wrong. He said, I know that if you end up being gay, you will never be happy 
and you will never be in a successful, committed relationship. Every relationship that he knows of has ended in the first two or three years. Um, Spoiler alert. Justin is totally, from what I see, happily married. Him and his husband are the cutest couple ever, you guys. So, on our eighth year, on our eighth year of marriage, and every year our anniversary, I think of his comment of, you will never be happy and you will never be in a committed relationship for longer than two or three years. Um, And quite honestly, now that I'm exposed to a lot more, it's just not true. It's just not true. That's what's so unfortunate about, um, you know, certain leaders in the church sometimes will, they have their own opinions. And so they say certain things to you that's their opinion, but it's so wrong, you know, and, and, and I don't have obviously the same sort of scenario, but even going through my divorce, I mean, it was just, we were so not good for each other. And I remember that's when I was trying to live the whole LDS lifestyle. And I remember that Bishop saying, no, you make your marriage work no matter what. Well, why should I stay with somebody if I'm not going to be happy? And I remember him saying, um, you know, making some comments because it was my second marriage, just kind of on along the lines of the failure if I go through this again. Yeah. And I remember the same thing that just stuck with me. And to be quite honest, it gave me a really bad taste in my mouth about, you know, just those scenarios where it's like, this is supposed to be someone that's a leader and um, supporting you and, and being yeah. non-judgmental and, but really they're judging you. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, at that point, I, I just realized, like, I don't want to be in a small town. You know, I, I'm i ready to go live my life. And uh, I got home on a Monday and I moved to Salt Lake on a Wednesday of the same week. I was oh I, I had family down here who was willing to let me, you know, come crash with them and, and really kind of figure out and get on my feet. And, and uh I was pretty lucky that way that, you know, the majority of my family really did have my back and was, it didn't even phase them to, to be there for me. And so, um, that was really huge for me. Okay. We have so much more to explore with you, Justin, (laughs) but this episode is getting long. So let's wrap up this episode and then you guys will come back with, um, an episode two and we'll kind of touch on Justin's marriage and what that was like getting married in here in Utah, how it wasn't recognized and then them having kids and all that kind of stuff. So um, I want to wrap this up by just asking the question. Someone wrote in and asked about how um, we can raise kids that are more accepting and loving and so they're not surprised by it so they can love unconditionally. Do you have any advice on how we could raise more kids like that? Yeah, for sure. I think that the biggest thing is uh, kids learn from their parents. And if they see how their parents are acting towards someone, they will naturally start behaving the same way. And so if they hear gay slurs, gay jokes, if they hear you speaking negatively about gay people or transgendered people or whoever, they pick up on that. Um, I think that the more that we can live with an open mind, um, of trying to understand people and understand where people's lives have been, that kids naturally will pick up on that. Um, I also think we're in a day and age where there are more 
neighbors who are gay. There are more cousins who are gay. There are more, um, you know, siblings. There's, we're, we're exposed to it People all are over more the place. Out uh-huh. nowadays, and yeah. I think that uh, don't be afraid to have a conversation in front of them, but might not be directed to them, but just that, you know what, it's fine. And it's, it's, we love them the same way. And, and, um, People can be happy no matter what life they they live and that we should embrace everyone who is different. I mean, in all reality, if we were all the same, how fucking boring would that be? Honestly. Like, honestly, like, like, and what would challenge us to be better? Like, if we were all the same, what would challenge us to love? What would, and isn't that the ultimate, like... Uh, commandment is to love our neighbors. And, and if we were all the same, how easy would that be just to love each other if we just were the same? And so I think that really live, you know, by example, and your kids will pick up on that. And if your kid has those feelings, they are going to feel much more secure and much more stable knowing that someday when that time is right for them, not for you. So if you suspect that, just hold tight and just constantly let your kids know that you love them no matter what. And ultimately, when the time is right, they will tell you and they will feel t- totally comfortable with that conversation. I love that. I think that's perfect. I love that so much, too. I wanted to ask you guys, do you watch This Is Us? Um, No. Do you watch This Is Us? Okay. Yeah, but I'm like two seasons behind. Well, no. So, well, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to have a spoiler alert. You got to be up on it. I'm going to say Uh-oh. this because I love this part about the show. The point is um, one of the characters in the show, uh, his daughter, you know, came, well, she was nervous to come out and I was, a, you know, a big part of the show and, and she's young. She's like my daughter, same age. And I actually just loved it. And there was another, you know, her uncle in the show really helped her with it. And she, she was just struggling with that you know, letting people know she's really nervous. And uh, he took her through a drive through, right? Just a fast food drive through. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to tell the person on the other end of this drive through that you're gay. Just come out to them. Just just to one person. So with one stranger, I want you to practice. I want you to practice saying it. And it, it was just a really cute part of the show. And I, I remember sitting on my couch, just like I got choked up a little bit because this is the day and age we live yeah. in. It really is. And it makes me think as a mother, like one of my children could come out to me. And I want them, like you said, to feel open and to feel like comfortable and safe and that they can do that. And anyway, that was just kind of a tidbit I had if, if you guys watch the show, but I guess you don't. So... <laughs> Well, I actually loved the piece of advice that you said, even if you suspect, let them come to you. And I think that is really important because I think as a parent, sometimes I see my kids doing something or I suspect something's going on and I'm going to confront them about it because I want them to know that I love them or I want them to feel safe or not do something so they don't get hurt. But sometimes it is best to let them have the opportunity to do it when they're ready and in their own time. Absolutely. We're really open in our household for sure about talking about that. My daughter, excuse me, even in sixth grade, one of the boys that she goes to school with uh, was openly gay and in sixth grade. I mean, that's young nowadays, right? And uh, anyway, so I love that that can be a conversation in in the home. And I think, I, I guess I feel grateful that she could talk to me about it. And the way it came up is she actually had a crush on him and was kind of like sad that, you know, Oh, he bless her heart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it, but it was kind of like a thing where, you know, yeah. At the same time, it, it opened up the conversation. Yeah. And that was kind of the first conversation we had in our home. And, and, and I'm just grateful for that, that we can be open. Yeah. And I think those, those conversations are what's important. I often get, you know, 
people who message me on Facebook or um, old friends or whatever, they say, hey, I think my little brother's gay or I think my nephew's gay or, you know, and I, I want him to know that I'm okay with that and that I support him. What what do I do? Do I just go tell him? And I always tell them no. Um He's still figuring out his life. He's still figuring out his feelings. The best thing you can do is, like you said, is have the conversations in front of them of bring, you know, if you bring up a, a gay person and, and, and if they see that you defend gay people or you are okay with gay people, ultimately that provides strength to them. When it's time to come out, they know that they are okay and that they can trust you. That's perfect. I love that advice. Justin, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your wonderful life stories with us. You are very welcome. <laughs> I'm super excited for the next episode with you, man. I, it, it anytime. Gets, you just tell me when. I'm happy to share. Some, yeah, there's plenty to share. It gets, it's going to get even better, you guys. Thank you so much. Until next time, let's keep it real. Peace.